You're listening to Task Force Shorts. This interview was translated to English and edited for length and clarity. Ramadan and Passover are often times of elevated tensions in Israel as thousands of worshippers and security forces descend on some of the most sensitive and contested sites in Jerusalem. This year, tensions have been especially high. A wave of terror that began just prior to Ramadan, instability in the governing coalition, and underlying fears that clashes like those of last May would erupt again have kept everyone on edge. Though some clashes and attacks have sadly continued, so far, the overall situation has nonetheless remained calm. Hello, everyone. My name is Liron Shoham. I'm here today with Jack Hui, one of Israel's most prominent journalists and commentators in Arab affairs, writing and broadcasting extensively on Israel's Arab society for Haaretz in Hebrew and English, and on Radio Ashams in Arabic. We've invited him to speak with us about this moment in Jewish-Arab relations inside Israel. Jack, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hi, thank you, Azana, for me. Let's start with where we are in Jewish-Arab relations. Is this a moment of breakthroughs or breakdowns? הייתי אומר שאנחנו נמצאים במצב מאוד רגיש. I would say that we are in a very sensitive situation, and we need to figure out how to assess it. Because if we look at what happened exactly a year ago, during the May events and the clashes that took place, then we are in a much better position today. Meaning that we're not witnessing the very difficult events that took place within Arab towns, within mixed cities, and also what happened in the West Bank and, of course, in the Jerusalem area. And we must also add to it the whole military operation called Guardian of the Walls with all its consequences. So that's why we're not in the same place. There's a sense that all sides, both Jews and Arabs, and even the government, maybe because of political considerations, maybe because of other considerations, and at the regional level also, no one wants to get there. Although there was plenty of fuel in the air, everyone said, we do not want to go back to this situation. Now, is it because of the Bennett government? Is it because Ram and Mansour Abbas are part of the coalition? Is it because of the official incitement and the fear of the consequences that did not exist like it did last year? There is not one clear and unequivocal answer. I would say that the May events of 2021 created a kind of deterrence mechanism for everyone, for both Jews and Arabs, such that no one wanted these clashes again. And the very fact that more Arabs are in the political arena and the Jewish public is more exposed to the demands of Arab society, even if it is partial demands presented by Ram and also the joint list in one way or another. But I want to emphasize a point that a lot of people are trying to ignore. I stress here, and to the audience in the United States, that beyond the political leadership of Ram and the joint list, we should pay close attention to the heads of the Arab municipalities, the mayors. They have a very important role. You can take, for example, here the mayor of Um al-Fahim, Dr. Samir Mahamid. You can mention quite a few heads of municipalities who are at the center of this discourse. They are at the center of decision-making. They meet with ministers. 
meaning that we should not only focus on Mansur Abbas or Ayman Ode. There are a lot of other heads of communities. There are other civil society organizations. There is a lot of activity. Arab media, which I'm also a part of beyond my work at Haaretz, meaning that we can challenge the system and ask questions. So in one sense, what you're saying is, yes, if violence is the measure, then good. We're not seeing violent clashes like those of last May. Right now, it's clear that neither Jews nor Arabs want to be out in the streets fighting each other. Great. But I want to ask you, is the absence of violence a good measure? If we measure it by bloodshed, by violence and damages, we are not there right now. But to what extent is this country, the state of Israel, this government that was defined as the government of change, truly leading to a significant change in the attitude toward the Arab public? There is a big question mark here. I think that the policies that the Israeli governments, including this government, have been trying to implement over the last decade, and it's important that you understand this point. Once you talk about civic issues, you always have someone to talk to. Let's look at the example of the fight against violence. Everyone wants to fight violence. Everyone wants to help. I believe the Minister of Internal Security. I believe the Deputy Minister of Internal Security. I believe, in one way or another, the Minister of Welfare. I believe the Minister of Transportation. In other words, for the everyday civic issues, you will find open ears even in the Prime Minister's office, in one way or another. But once you get to national issues, even if there is a civic concern, one that has national implications, there's always a big barrier there. I will give two examples. One, the unrecognized villages in the Negev. Once you talk about recognition and territories and lands, issues that are in the essence and the basis of the dispute between Jews and Arabs, you get stuck there. The nation-state log, no one talks about it, not in a sense of correcting or deleting it. There have been quite a few laws that have passed in the last decade. For me, I don't know how else to describe them, but apartheid. No one's talking about taking them down. Once you speak on civic matters, you have something to talk about. Once you speak nationally, and I did not even mention the occupation and its consequences, it's not on anybody's agenda. And so we're not colliding, but we're not on a honeymoon and have such a great relationship. Therefore, every event, as what happened in Jerusalem during the month of Ramadan, can ignite the fire. So this is such a volatile moment because of what you say and because there are socioeconomic gains on the line. And maybe we didn't see clashes in the streets, but we did see a wave of terror attacks, two of which were perpetrated by Arab citizens. And it's important to say Arab citizens were also victims of these attacks. In this moment, how were these attacks perceived and responded to within Arab society? <laughs> First, it is important to clarify that the very fact that the two terror attacks, those who perpetrated them, adopted the ideology of ISIS is something that has been widely condemned. Even in the Islamic movement, in all its branches, even the branch of Sheikh Red Salah of the Northern Faction, and of course Ram, and anyone who can influence and make decisions, said that we are not there. Meaning that not only in the context of Israel, Jews, and Palestinians, in general, 
everything that has happened in Syria and in Iraq and elsewhere, ISIS is not something we can identify with in any way. So the very fact that the two attacks were ideologically identified with ISIS was very helpful. It helped people come up with statements of unequivocal condemnation, the fact that it was also within the Green Line, that we're talking about a city like Beersheba and a city like Hadera. Beersheba, the capital of the Negev with a large population of Arab citizens, for whom it is a place of livelihood and a metropolitan center to go to. And of course, Hadera. Look at Vadi Ara, with quite a few Arab businesses there. So the condemnation, both on a human level, on the collective level, and on the civil level, the fact that it was citizens of the country, the fact that it was terror attacks that ISIS had taken responsibility for, so the condemnation was from wall to wall. And there were no questions from most of the influential figures in Arab society. I would add, very cautiously, that, for example, the level of condemnation for the terror attacks that happened inside the West Bank and what happened in Nabrok and elsewhere that had more Palestinian involvement, you see that is done more diplomatically and with careful wording, so as to not anger the Palestinian side. Meaning that there is a difference here. If it is ISIS, I am not there, and it is a decision in principle. Even the clerics, who are considered extremists in the Arab society, have come out with clear statements against it. Once it is the Palestinian national struggle, there is a problem and there is a different outlook in terms of everyday discourse as well. True, there were condemnations for all the attacks, including what happened in Nabrak and of course on Dizengov, but it is not to the same extent as when those involved were Arab citizens of Israel and also when it comes to ISIS-related backgrounds. Another example is the attack that happened a few days ago in the settlements, in Ariel. The Palestinian authorities did not issue a condemnation at all. Why? Because it is within the West Bank. It is beyond the Green Line. So that maybe, for Israel, it does not matter so much, but within the Palestinian arena, including the Arab society in Israel, it does matter. Who committed the attack, why, and where did it happen? Throughout this conversation, I'm hearing you emphasize that so much of Arab society's position in Israel comes back to its complex identity and realities, that Arab citizens of Israel share both Israeli citizenship as well as a Palestinian national identity. These days, it seems that Arab society has a real desire to have this identity expressed and acknowledged in the public sphere. What would that look like in this context? Okay. I look at Okay, I would take it in two directions. One, there has been a criticism in Arab society, a very clear criticism, that not every time there's an incident and an attack, we have to stand up and start condemning. Kind of circle of condemnation, that again, I must prove loyalty to the state, and again, I am against hurting civilians, and I am against and against and against. And the point is, the expectation that the Arab minority, which is a persecuted minority in many aspects, must always respond and give reassurance. But the question is, when does the state respond and reassure the Arab citizen? So you say, condemn violence, condemn the killing of Jews, condemn terror attacks, condemn any harm that is being done to Jewish civilians, whether it is in the settlements or in other places. Okay. I condemn and condemn and condemn. And what do you do? Nothing. What do you do to meet me halfway? 
to meet me with the national issue, nothing. Even the thought of freezing settlements does not arise. It is a kind of perception that this is a given situation. By the way, it's also important for me to mention this. Status quo, status quo, status quo. My problem today is that the occupation has also become a kind of status quo. Once you start saying, let's end the occupation, the response is, what are you talking about? Like, it's something that has been around for 50-something years, let's continue with it and live with it. And every event, every action of yours, must accept this as a fact. The settlements are a fact. The occupation is a fact. The nation-state law is a fact. The citizenship law is a fact. So let's deal with whatever's left. Do not expect me, the Jewish majority, to come meet you halfway with any of these things. And you must constantly give me answers. You have to give me the answers, and must condemn and prove loyalty. At some point, it will explode. At some point, they will say, until when and where? To what point do we continue to come toward you? Okay, but what about the fact that right now there is an Arab party in the government and there's greater overall visibility of Arab issues and concerns? Is this an indication of greater readiness on the part of Israeli society? Is it an opportunity for the kind of responsiveness that Arab society wants? First of all, it's important to clarify, and sometimes it's even difficult to explain, even to the average Arab citizen, the fact that there is a government in its current composition is not because of deep processes that the Jewish majority went through with the Arab minority. I would say it like that. Once one man, whose name is Benjamin Netanyahu, will get out of the political equation, we will see, within days or at most weeks, a rather substantial change in the composition of the government. Then, there will be no problem for right-wing parties like Yamina and New Hope, Gideon Saar and Lieberman to join the Likud and join the ultra-Orthodox and to make a completely different government. Meaning, the fact that Mansour Abbas is part of the coalition is because of political interests that this met, and its main task is that Benjamin Netanyahu will not be prime minister. Once Netanyahu is taken out of the equation, I expect, and I may be wrong, that you will see a fundamental change. Now, the question is how the Arab parties, including Ram, including the joint list, including the political arena and media awareness developed, can take advantage of the situation and say, look, we can live together, we can work together. In my opinion, Arab society today is in a better place in its approach toward the Jewish public. The Arabs want to be in. They want to integrate more. Look, it's a fact. Even the national issue, I would say, does not play as much of a role. Religious issues do. Al-Aqsa Mosque, this is an issue. Once you touch Al-Aqsa Mosque, everyone feels a need to respond. Mansour Abbas suspended his party's participation in the coalition after the events at Al-Aqsa. With the Knesset in recess, this was seen as a largely symbolic move, but as part of negotiations for return, he put a list of demands on the table. What are the most important of those demands in your eyes? Let's start with the fact that we do not know what Ram's demands are. There have been a lot of reports in the media, but Ram did not present a document that says, we want one, two, three, as of right now. I heard not so long ago in the recent days that Ram is currently trying to prepare a draft with which they will go to the government and say, let's move forward on these issues. 
I would say that they will not ask for essential things, like the nation-state law or the citizenship law. In my opinion, specifically about the citizenship law, they have to give answers to thousands of families, or at least help in specific cases. Okay, the law has passed, but at least try to move things. I think the Negev question must be on the list of demands. Budgets for mayors and community heads, the fight against violence. There may be all sorts of other demands, specific territories, of waqf, such, and other things. And of course, to maintain the status quo of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And in the case of Al-Aqsa, it has to be said, that's a sentence that I know for sure is the conclusion. Ram will not accept the role of the King of Jordan, who is the patron of the holy sites. Mansour Abbas will not negotiate with Naftali Bennett about what Israel should do in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. He says to himself, it's too much for me. I cannot make these decisions. Ram will not accept the role of the King of Jordan, who is the patron of the holy sites. Mansour Abbas will not negotiate with Naftali Bennett about what Israel should do in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. He says it himself, it's too much for me. I cannot make these decisions. This matter, it is something that is mainly the role of the King of Jordan, who is the patron of the holy sites, and of course, the Palestinian leadership, the Arab League, the Arab and Islamic countries, and therefore, Mansour Abbas will say most clearly, whatever Bennett's government and the King of Jordan decide, I will accept. This is one. And if they do get to an agreement, that's it. The things that are left, and I will say it that way, the issue is not Lieberman, the issue is not the Minister of Internal Security nor the Minister of Finance. The problem, maybe yes, the Minister of Finance, is that everything depends on two ministers, Ayelet Shaked, the Minister of Internal Affairs, and the Minister of Construction and Housing, Zev Elkin. In my opinion, if they let some issues go, I think they will be able to move forward with the negotiations and continue being part of the coalition. Well, we're definitely all waiting to see what happens when Knesset is back in session uh, in the next week. Jack, thank you so much. We have covered so much ground in such a short amount of time. Is there anything else you would like to add before we close? It is time to finally end the conflict instead of managing it. It's time to come up with a solution to this conflict. As long as this fundamental issue, called the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the occupation, does not end, there will always be things that pop up and things that happen. The economic issue is important, equality is important, but once you do not address the real and deep issue, we will not achieve anything. You will keep asking me what happened, and we will meet in a few more months, and you'll ask, what are the latest developments? Well, I do hope that we'll get to see you again soon and other better circumstances. Jack Hooley, thank you for spending time with us and sharing your insights. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you.